Hello, I'm Emily Little, and today I'm joined by the current Pro-Chancellor here at the University of Warwick, John Leefield, CBE. Mr Leefield was educated at the University of Oxford and made his career in information technology. He's worked for international companies including Ford Motor Company in the 1960s, Plessy Telecommunications and British Leyland. In 1987 he led an employee buyout of Istel Limited, which he had established from its origins in British Leyland. John Leefield is currently a director of a number of IT-related companies and has been chairman of RMPLC since 1994. Research Machines is a leading provider of IT services to education and John has taken this particular aspect of IT further, having been a member of the board of UKERNA, who provide the UK's national academic network, Janet. He was President of the Computing Services and Software Association in 1995 and the British Computer Society in 1994 and of the British Institute for Management Information Systems in 2000 until 2006. He's a Freeman and member of the Court of the Company of Educators and was past master of the Worshipful Company of Information Technologists in 2005-06. Despite his busy professional life, John Leefield has found time to give long and invaluable service to the University of Warwick. As a lay member of the University and Council for six years from 1990 and in 1997 to 2000, and as Pro-Chancellor since 2002, a post from which he retires this year and involves chairing the University Council. He holds honorary degrees from several Midlands universities, and in 2006 was awarded the Mountbatten Medal by the Institute of Engineering and Technology in recognition of his outstanding contribution to electronics and IT and their applications. Today John Leefield is awarded an honorary Doctor of Laws. I'd like to say, first of all, as I normally do with these podcasts, welcome to the University of Warwick, Mr Leefield. But obviously that's normally your job, welcoming people to the the university. I do do that quite often. Um, But can I say congratulations on receiving your honorary degree. Um, Tell me what this means to you. Well, it means an immense amount. Uh, When I was at school, this university didn't exist, but I've been involved with it since 1976 and seen it grow, and seen the wonderful people who lead it, the people who do research and teach, and above all, the students. And uh, it's, it, to me, it's been a great privilege to be involved for so long, and in quite a lot of depth. So to have an honorary degree from Warwick is uh, immensely important to me. How did you find the ceremony today? Because obviously you weren't up on the stage, you were you were sat down at the front to begin no, with. No, I, I, uh, it certainly gave me a new perspective on things. And I went sitting on the, at the front of the stage normally, watching all the uh, bright young people coming to uh, collect their degrees. It gives you a, a very vivid impression of the excitement and the feeling of, of achievement of those young people. On the other hand, it's very hard to hear because the acoustics are designed for the hall and it's incredibly hot because we, we choose the hottest time of the year to wear the biggest robes that man has invented. So it's different. But uh, I certainly enjoyed sitting in the hall, uh, hearing things clearly, hearing the music, the spectacular music, really well. So I, I enjoyed the morning ever so much. 
And education has always been a, a passion of yours, but, but what was your education like? Um, well, I was a beneficiary of uh, the much-criticised old 11-plus. I went from a, a state primary school and got a one went through the 11-plus to go to an independent school in Oxford, uh, Morden College School, which is a very, very good school indeed. Now, it's right at the top of the league tables above uh, St Paul's and Westminster and so on. So I was lucky to go from a very humble background to a school which meant there was no doubt that you were going to go on to Oxbridge. And so I won a state scholarship from uh, Morton College School, Oxford, and went up to Exeter College in Oxford, an old college, and uh, read classics, greats as they call it in Oxford. A four-year course, I had four splendid years in Oxford. So um, it was about as academic an education as an undergraduate that you can get, and I valued it all my life. And you obviously then moved into the IT industry, mm. I think, within, within car companies, first of all, Ford and, and British Leyland as well. Yeah. How did that occur? Well, I, when I, in my last year of reading classics at Oxford, I decided I'd perhaps better think about getting a job. And when you're reading classics, it's not obvious what sort of thing you're going to do. But I was interested in, like many young men, interested in cars. Decided to write to all the car companies to see whether they'd got a job for me. And I wrote to um, Ford and Vauxhall and Roots and Lucas and BMC, as it then was. And Ford wrote back saying, we're interested in people like you. And I went along, had an interview, joined them uh, back in... 1962, in September 62, and within a couple of months saw my first computer. And, uh, and although we were supposed to do a sort of Cook's tour around the whole of Ford, I saw computers and they saw me, and the two seemed to go together well. So I've been in uh, the computer field since September 1962, which is uh, quite a long time. And your time at um, British Leyland, as it turned out to be, was quite a turbulent time for the car industry as it well, was. wasn't it? You know, I, I went to Ford and spent three years there treating it a bit like a business school. And from there I went to Plessy, a telecommunications uh, company, and became head of IT for, for Plessy. And in, in 72 was headhunted by John Barber, who'd been finance director at Ford, to join British Leyland. And it was turbulent. You know, there, there was, we were still in the days of an amazing number of strikes and head-to-head uh, -head confrontation between management and unions. Not very good management and not very good unions. So for, for several years, it was just uh, pretty horrible. You know, it's hard to see any future. Um, eventually, you know, things changed. Uh, a new chairman came in a chap called Michael Edwards, who confronted the trade union problems, decided that we should really uh, split the company up into the brands that have been so well-known, brands like Jaguar and Land Rover and Leyland for trucks. I took part in that split-up. I, I took the technology part of BL, the computers, telecommunications, and set it up as a separate company, and we employed about... Uh, 1,500 people, and did an employee buyout. So the employees 
put together the money to buy that part of the company out of the old BL. And we set up a company based in the Midlands called Istal. And that, that was obviously different because you, instead of working for a big company, you were actually running and operating your own yeah, company. I was chairman and managing director of a company of as about 1,500 people. That became 2,000 people. Initially doing work for the motor industry, but uh, increasingly for, for others, you know, from, for the travel industry, the retail industry, other manufacturing organizations, financial services. So it became quite an um, innovative uh, company that particularly exploited both the growth in the capabilities of the technology, but also the liberalization of telecoms, you know, from the days when the post office used to run the telephone system to when there was a, a variety of things, and you could run email and uh, all sorts of services. And in, in Istal, we, we, we really did break the mold. Uh, for instance, we launched the first publicly available email service before BT did. Um, so it was a great time. Uh, it was particularly great because when you're in a company which is owned by its employees, the spirit is very different. And I've been chairman of lots of companies since then. And typically, you know, I've chairman of a building society not very far away from here in Warwick. And uh, at the annual general meeting, um, you'd get perhaps 35 rather elderly ladies who'd come to the AGM because we provided a free cup of tea and biscuits. The AGM in Istel, families came. It's their company, and they all came. So it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And we had great people, uh, great managers. And we, we invested a lot of money in developing the people, uh, and we made a major impact for a little company. And obviously then, combining your, your two passions of, of education and, and mm. IT, you, you obviously think that that's the way forward, providing... I do. Uh, the, going back to th education and passion, you know, we, we, I talked about being at um, Malden College School and then Exeter College, Oxford. When I was running Istel, we, we moved our headquarters to Redditch in Worcestershire, and I began to, to see the schools and started sponsoring events at schools. And then I heard about Kenneth Baker's idea of setting up City Technology College, which has since then have become academies. And I got really interested in edu education at that time and uh, sponsored the first City Technology College, which is not far away from here at Warwick in North Solihull. And I'd made contact with Warwick, a chap called Bob Harrion at Warwick was doing research in an area where we were de developing advanced software. And uh, we sponsored Bob here at Warwick to continue the research. And so both through schools and particularly through Warwick, I, I began a serious involvement in education. Kingshurst School in North Solihull, schools that I'd sponsored around the place here at, uh, at Warwick. And obviously now schools today, there's there's computers for almost every pupil and, and yes. it's so important as part of their education yeah. now. And that's been an enormous change. Now I remember I was so pleased to be an honorary graduate today in Warwick. A couple of years ago, one of the honorary graduates was Kenneth Baker, Lord Baker. 
1982, Kenneth Baker was Minister for Information Technology, the only time we've ever had a Minister for Information Technology. And he said, one of the many things he said was, every school should have a computer. And when I look back, I think every school should have a computer. As you say now, it's virtually every pupil would have a computer. And uh, I've been very involved uh, through a, a company of which I became chairman 17 or 18 years ago, a company called RM, Research Machines, in developing the use of a very wide range of technologies to help teachers and help students. And it, in many schools now, the ratio is pretty well one-to-one one computer per child, uh, and good teachers really do use the technology as a superb tool in motivating and helping children learn better. And you were Master of the Worshipful Company of Information Technologies. Tell me about your association with them. In, in the um, 1980s, a friend of mine who was based in London rang me one day and said, John, the livery companies which are so important to the city. Um, they're, they're ones for old trades that don't exist anymore, like mercers and all sorts of other things like that, but, but also goldsmiths and silversmiths and more modern trades. Um, one trade that's fundamental to the City of London is information technology, and there isn't a livery company for information technology. Will you join us to set one up? And about 30 of us got together and set up the, the livery company for information technology. And there's, there's a number of uh, modern livery companies. So, somewhat oddly, Farmers is a relatively new one. And we became the 100th livery company in the City of London and got our livery in 1992. We have a hall, so we have a livery hall. We're the only modern company that has that. We're just about to open a school which is a, you know, the, lots of livery companies did that. They, we all know about Skinner's schools and the Mercers own St. Paul, the two St. Paul schools. Uh, Merchant Taylors have schools. Um, and we are just about to open a school. And I was master about six or seven years ago, uh, which is a tremendous privilege to be um, one of the masters of one of the wonderful livery companies of the City of London. But... Um, I don't know whether you know that I'm involved in another, what will be a livery company soon. One of the other trades, somewhat oddly, that's not covered by the livery companies is education. And about five years ago, one of the Lord Mayors said we ought to have a worshipful company of educators. And uh, I'm now a member of the company of educators, and we'll become a proper livery company in a couple of years. And I'm now a warden and will become master of the company of educators in about three years' time. Now, for me, that will be particularly pleasing, but those two threads of my life, of information technology and education, to have been master of both of those two uh, will give me enormous pleasure, enormous yeah. satisfaction. Seems very fitting as, mm. to, as to how your life has gone. Mm. And also you've um, you've been awarded the CBE in yep. the Queen's Birthday Honours yep. and also the Mountbatten Medal from mm. the National Electronics Council. Mm. How do you feel about receiving those? Um, they always come as a bit of a shock. Uh, and probably the thing I'm most proud of, I'm proud of, of those things, but 
Margaret, my wife, and I went once to a dinner of the British Computer Society, which is the professional body for IT people. And it was a big dinner. It's their awards dinner. And I'd been asked to go along, and I think I was told I was going to go along to say grace or something. And when I got there, they were a bit unclear quite when I, whether I was going to do this. And no, not, not to say grace. We want you to introduce one of the awards. And, and we want you to sit here right at the front so you can do this. But, th but then, at the end of the evening, they said, now, we're now inaugurating a new award when we haven't had one before. It's the Award for Lifetime Achievement in IT. And, then, and the person who is going to receive this, and then they began to describe somebody who was going to receive this. And as it unfolded, I realized they'd got me there in the false pretenses. You know, they were really getting me there to receive this award for uh, outstanding life achievement. So that I'm very proud of. The Mountbatten Medal, some very eminent people have, have won that. And again, uh, I'm very proud to have won that. Um, and the CBE, again, it's the sort of thing, you're sitting innocently at home and a letter arrives and says, would you like to have the CBE? And you, you wonder why, who on earth plotted this? And it is a great honour. It's something that um, I'm immensely pleased about. And you still wonder, who on earth organised that? But when it's people of your own field, your own profession, who say, we want to give you this award, that's very special indeed. And you've already mentioned your associations with Warwick and um, sponsoring research and things like that. What really drew you to this university? In some ways, it was the classic way for a businessman to get involved with the university. It was an area, it was a, an occasion of mutual interest, where we were, I was my, part of Istel was working on some fairly sophisticated simulation software at a time when that wasn't really done very much. It was very early days, and I discovered this chap Bob Harrion working on the same problem here and got to know him and he was associated with the business school and one way or another I got more involved and met George Bain who was then uh, Dean of the business school and got talking about the way the business school worked and I was very involved in the Midlands and there was a missing set of educational um, offerings that could have been of use to my company and I agreed to work on the syllabus for this, uh, for a new MSc, and got persuaded two or three of my friends from other companies to join in, and it was an absolute classic. Here I was on the one hand sponsoring research, and on the other hand directly contributing to the creation of the curriculum for an important new degree. Um, and that degree, the MSc in business systems, went carried on in the business school for uh, many years, did lots of good, and out of that. Uh, George Bain suggested I join the board of the business school and I then became chairman of the business school. Uh, meanwhile, Clark Brendan, who was then the vice-chancellor, had suggested I sh should widen my uh, involvement with the university and should join the council. And in 1990, I joined the council. And whenever you're out and about on your travels and you're, and you're talking about Warwick, how do you describe Warwick? I describe it as a phenomenon, really. It's, I describe its innovation. It depends to some extent on the environment. You know, I live in North Oxford, which is 
full of academics. And there I stress one of the fundamental truths of Warwick, the sheer quality of its academics. They are stars. Um, and, and they're great. Um, everybody knows they're great in maths and in statistics and economics, but they're also great in my old field of classics and law uh, and business school and manufacturing. Um, so I'd, in that environment, I very much stress the academic quality. When I'm with my colleagues in business, which I am frequently, I talk about its um, relevance to companies. Now, we, li we live in Oxford, and Margaret and I were at a dinner a year or so ago in one of the colleges in Oxford, a very academic environment, Balliol, as, as academic as you can get. And we were sitting with the, the chap who runs the BMW Mini operation in Cowley, a chap called Jürgen Hedrecht. And uh, Jürgen was bemoaning to me that academics, British academics, they know nothing about engineering and manufacturing. Because here we were sitting, as I say, in Balliol in Oxford. And I said, I shook my head and said, no, Jürgen, not true. Come with me to another university where they do know about manufacturing. And through that, I introduced him to my, my great friend Kumar Bhattacharya. And Kumar and, and Jürgen and I had dinner and we talked about how Warwick helps lots of automotive companies and could help BMW. So in, the, in that sort of environment, it's the real-world aspects of Warwick that I tend to discuss. But I always talk, wherever I talk, I talk about the magnificence of our students. You know, it's, been, it's given me so much pleasure working with, year after year, presidents of the union who are brilliant and other sabbaticals who are brilliant and just meeting students in general. So I, I sing the praises of Warwick as its student body time and again. And obviously you are stepping down this year as chairman of the council. So I've been told. What advice would you give to, to Warwick and the council in the future now that we're heading into, I guess, turbulent times as far as higher education I is think concerned? The advice I would give, it almost comes out from me quoting the headmaster of my old school. As I said earlier, Morton College School is right at the top of the tree. No, it's, it's right at the top of the league tables. And we had a, head new, a new headmaster for the school a couple of years ago. And I'm on the development board of the, of the school. And we had a meeting in London of the development board. And the new headmaster, a chap called Tim Hans, um, talked to us. And he'd been there by then um, three months or so. He said to us all, Lord the College School, it's a pretty good school, but, and that's the word I'd give to Warwick, to my successor's chairman, Warwick is a very good university, but, and the but is, it can get better. Uh, when you're at the top, you've got to get better. And Warwick can do that. I know Warwick can do that. It's got the leadership, it's got the academics, it's got the students. Uh, we've got an environment of threat, which is going to cause problems to lots of universities. For us, it's an opportunity. So my, my advice to George, George Cox, who's taking over is, let's say to people, it's a very, very good university, but we're going to make it even better. What uh, memories will you take with you f from your time here at Warwick? Oh, lots of memories. No, memories of meeting Jack Butterworth, uh, the first Vice-Chancellor, 
who was a tough chap, uh, uh, acid sense of humor, a great wit, and a mold breaker. Many, many memories of Jack. And of Clark Brandon, who followed him, an American who was a very different character, of helping to recruit Brian Follett, and I've helped recruit three vice-chancellors, and seeing a man come in who's an eminent scholar, helping transform the research level of the university. And then working with another American, David Vanderlind, who um, brought some disciplines that were taken for granted in his home un university uh, in the States, which we don't necessarily take for granted here, um, and helping recruit him. And then finally, memories of recruiting Nigel. Nigel, Nigel Swift's coming to make a presentation to us in the shortlist of what he would do if he became vice-chancellor. And he, he laid down a strategy that he would follow. And lots of people do that sort of thing at interviews. The big difference here was Nigel came and did it. So I've got many, many memories, memories of dinners and concerts and council meetings and friends, colleagues, legion. Now I could bore you for many, many minutes. But the main memories are of great leaders, great academics, great individuals, innovative academics, and students you'd give your eye teeth for in any university. Some of those uh, your fellow graduates today, what advice would you give to them as they embark out into the wide world? Well, I gave, I gave some advice in my talk after I'd received my uh, degree today. You don't stop learning when you leave your university. You know, I mentioned uh, about, about three months after I left Oxford, I had one of the most important bits of learning from my first boss, an East Ender, a Cockney, who never went anywhere near a university, a friend called, a chap called Charlie Crowley, who um, we, we used to work mad hours. I got into IT in the days when computers were puny things, even though we thought they were wonderful. And I remember one day working with Charlie down in Dagenham. And we'd worked all day. In those days, computers were very unreliable, and they didn't, didn't work very fast. And we carried on working until about 11 o'clock at night. And we then needed to do some work that our computers were too small for, and so we had to drive off from Dagenham in the east end of London to Wigmore Street, just behind Oxford Street, to use IBM's huge computers, about as big as the processing power in the average uh, wristwatch today. And we drove off at 11 o'clock to Wigmore Street, did our work, came back to Dagenham, and uh, there was a very officious security man at the gate, stopped us, and said, stop, open the boot. And Charlie Crowley, without even a bat of the eyelid, said, sorry, mate, the boot's full of computer tapes and they mustn't be exposed to the dark. All right, sir, the chap said, and off we went in. And there's my first bit of learning, you know, that uh, that sort of attitude to baffling the <coughs> ignorant with science about technology. Uh, but I think you just... my my. Uh, two words of advice really, or three. One is, and everybody says it, your learning doesn't stop. You've been taught how to learn. If you've been taught nothing else, you've been taught how to learn. The second, and I hear it from so many honorary graduates, um, and I believe absolutely profoundly, 
usually you can't plan your life. You can't plan what your career is going to be. What you must do is look at opportunities, be prepared to take sensible risks, and grasp opportunities, which I've done all my life. And out of that came being head of IT for Plessian, running Istel, and getting involved in Warwick, and so on. And the third one, and a lot of people early in their career don't do it, is network. Get to meet people. Get to meet lots and lots of people. And I've got all sorts of networks. And, they, and they're so valuable. They're valuable to me and my role at Warwick when I can bring business people here or I'm involved in music and Warwick involvement there helps there. So I'd say do those three things. Keep learning, take opportunities and build your personal networks. That's fantastic advice. Thank you very much for speaking with me today, Mr Leafield. And congratulations again on receiving your honorary degree and uh, wish you well for the future. Thank you very much.